Anderson claps back at the Pam and Tommy show, the truth about ghost writers, and are fans turning toxic? We're Maggie and Jasmine, and you're listening to Culture Club, our weekly chat about pop culture, current affairs, the internet, and our lives. We acknowledge that the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people are the traditional custodians of this land we are on today. We would like to pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. We would also like to celebrate their rich history of culture and storytelling that we can learn from. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. I feel like I need to play some Olivia Rodrigo right now because <laughs> someone got their driver's license. Beep, beep. Yes, I am on my piece. I'm so happy. Um, and unlike Olivia Rodrigo, I can parallel park. Thank you very much. <laughs> Yay, congrats. Big life thing ticked off how do you feel how did it go how was your test you're so sneaky I didn't even know you were going for a test like before was it because you wanted to just like in case you failed (laughs) yeah kind of I was just like um like posy vibes only I don't want to like let anyone in just in case um and a relative had failed the day before me just in case I don't want to be named um so you know there was a bit of bad energy flowing around so I was like you know what Maggie we're just (laughs) gonna keep this a secret fingers crossed we pass um but the thing is yeah I was so nervous but really proud that I got it apparently I had a really hard um instructor as well like he's been there for over 30 years and he's just like rough old man but hooray yay and have you driven anywhere yet a little bit like the night I got it I literally drove to my friend's house which is two minutes away like 500 meters we're talking um and that was really fun and weird even though I've I've been driving um since I was like uh for at least four years now actually so it's been a long time but it's just weird when no one's next to you um yeah yeah and then on the way back home like 11 p.m it was raining and obviously dark and a car was driving towards me on the wrong side of the road. <gasps> Maggie. Yeah. I know. Oh and I was God. like, I was like so nervous because I was like, what's happening? But luckily they swerved back into their lane and I gave them a beep. But honestly, I was like, is this normal? <laughs> oh my gosh. That's a bit full on for your first day. I know. But uh, apart from that, um, it's been good. Still looking forward to my first Macca's run. Um, but yeah. Yay. And you're back in Melbourne. We're both here together once again. Um, And it's also Melbourne Fashion Week. I saw that you went to like a little event this weekend too. Look at us go. Look at us. Who would have thought? Yeah, back in Melbourne and I've had a weekend of like full Melbourne things. So uh, my mom is down and my sister was down for um, my grandma's 70th birthday, which was very sweet, wholesome family vibes. But um. It's been a little bit of a touristy weekend with like we drove around all the like different suburbs and got a coffee in Carlton on Saturday and then, um, you know, went to the NGV this morning to see the Chanel exhibition and took my mouth to a few it? rooftop bars. Um, I liked it. It was like quite busy because it was Sunday morning. So I kind of was like, I wish I was here by myself or like just with my mom <laughs> um, <laughs> to really take it in because, you know, when you can like feel people – you feel like you want to go with the crowd but um mm. like the actual exhibition itself was really good 
it didn't really touch on like the Nazi stuff too much, which was interesting. Like it was just a little mm-hmm. bit on the wall and it said why like all the 40s are skipped in the exhibition. It's because right. she like literally went into exile for 14 years. But they're like, oh, she was arrested with her German boyfriend. And it's like a German officer. And it's like, you mean a Nazi officer? Like <laughs> you can just say it. <laughs> so, yeah, we had a listener ask us um, our thoughts on it. You've seen it as well, haven't you? Mm, yes, I did see. We got a DM um, a few weeks back um, asking us about this. Yeah, so what did you think of it? Um, yeah, because I saw it a couple of weeks ago too. I just found it so interesting that like with hindsight, especially because I'm not too knowledgeable about fashion history, like we think of Chanel and we think of like black tweed skirts and A-line sets and really kind of refined items. And in the exhibition, it's like so chaotic. Some of the styles are like so like calisthenics vibes. <laughs> mm, totally, yeah. Like there's a really – colorful ostrich feather dress and like some of the earlier stuff like from the 30s I was surprised that as well and so until you get to the 70s that it's really like the Chanel tweed the 60s 70s um but yeah I'd say if you're a fashion interested in fashion definitely go check it out if you're in Melbourne at the NGB um they always do amazing exhibitions like every summer so you can't go wrong I feel like it's pretty hard to dislike an exhibition at the NGB So this week, Pamela Anderson has returned to Instagram a little over a year after deleting her account to announce a new project, a tell-all documentary with Netflix. On Thursday, Pamela posted a photo of a poem slash handwritten note onto Instagram with a lipstick red kiss mark. And the note read, my life. A thousand imperfections, a million misperceptions, wicked, wild, and lost. Nothing to live up to. I can only surprise you. Not a victim, but a survivor, and alive to tell the real story. So we have spoken on and off about the Pam and Tommy show since it was announced. Um, I still haven't watched it. I still don't know if I will. And you're the same, right? Well, yeah, when we first, we've talked about this um, over the course of a couple months and we were talking about like, will we, won't we watch it? And now I'm in the band camp of that. I'm not going to watch it. Um, I just, I think I've seen more people kind of talk about it online and I'm just like, I I do feel icky watching it when Pamela, you know, hasn't expressed her consent with this and awkwardly Tommy Lee has fully endorsed this and he's like, the abuser and the relationships I'm like oh I don't know it's really hard because like you I love 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 the actors in it and Mm. and it all but yeah no I think I'm more on that side of the fence as well um so it's great to see that Pamela is telling her own side of the story with this Netflix documentary because it is just so ironic that a show was made about like her sex tape being used without consent then they've made a whole show without her consent. Um, and she seems like a very sweet and genuine woman. So I'm keen to see her answer questions and tell a story like through the lens of today rather than the early 2000s and 90s, mm-hmm. like when she was, you know, being abused by the media and such. Um, TikTok user at Girlboss Town, who's known for their deep dives and hot takes of celeb PR, 
also commented on this and spoke about how it's the note that Pamela posted is similar to a take on the celeb breakup announcement on the notes app, which we've all seen many times. Um, so I just thought that was funny. She's kind of playing on a trope of celebrity announcements and is kind of like breaking up with the show in a way, like setting the record straight. And what I found interesting is, of course, there's going to be a massive publicity and advertising team behind Netflix. These things are super thought out. So like upon first glance, you're like, oh, this is a very cute handwritten note that she's just like written and kissed and then posted to Instagram. But if you look closely, it's been photoshopped so I don't even know if it's handwritten on paper because um, it's on a marble tabletop background but there's like the shadow um, behind the note itself so it kind of sits on top of it it's very hard to describe but if you look at it it's it's like a uh, like digitally made image as well so lots of thought has um, you know gone behind this and Anderson's children Brandon Thomas Lee and Dylan Jaggerly also reposted her announcement to their Instagram stories, both emphasizing the phrase, quote, the real story. So this is so recent, just this whole telling of her life and her story. Like it's not even looking back like decades after really. It's like two decades, you know. Yeah, and I think that's quite sad that like the sons are kind of like, this is the real story, like don't listen to our dad's show. Like what a mindfuck to be yeah, like a young adult and then your parents are being played by celebrities but they're both still alive and then like they're on a major television show that you know your mum hasn't consented to. It's like such a weird situation. Anyway, I think I will definitely be watching the documentary to hear her side and to get a clearer picture of what's going on. Speaking of biographies and biopics, Two very famous women, Britney Spears and Molly May Haig, have recently announced that they're writing books about their own lives. Yes, they are obviously very busy people and this got us thinking, will these books have been ghostwritten? If you don't know what a ghostwriter is, it's essentially a person who's hired to write a piece of work that's going to be credited to another and it's actually more common than you'd think. So one of the biggest examples or controversies that springs to mind is the whole um, Zoella situation that unfolded a few years ago. So very famous YouTuber Zoe Sugg had, um, you know, written her series Girl Online, I think it was called. Um, And then it came out that it was written by someone else. Um, With ghostwriting as well, I think it varies to different ring degrees. Like sometimes it's completely written with someone else. Sometimes it's co-authored or, you know, with a helping hand. Um, But, yeah, there was so much heat on Zoe for that. Do you remember? Totally remember that. I think a lot of that backlash also had to do with the fact that she was, like, the first massive British influencer for like younger girls. So I remember there was so much like anger about that. Like parents being like, I'm not going to let you read a book like by someone who's just a YouTuber, all that. But obviously it hasn't stopped the trade of ghostwriting. So it's kind of hard to talk about them together because Brittany hasn't written a book. It's just been announced and Molly May has completed her book and it's going to be on bookshelves. But do you think that they will and have been ghostwritten? Yes. I, again, don't know too much about the celeb side of things, but there is like (laughs) no reality where I can see Molly May literally just sitting at a desk for hours, you know, 24 hours a day, um, writing this 
mammoth memoir or book, right? Um, surely the reality is working closely with a writer or a team of writers and more like an interview style, like an as told mm-hmm. to thing, right? Totally. I agree. Yeah, because it's about her life. It's called Becoming Molly May. According to Penguin Books, it's a memoir about the Molly not everyone gets to see. Quote, in Becoming Molly May, she unravels herself completely for the first time to open up about how she nurtured her creativity from a young age, took ownership of her body image, battled self-doubt, and built a happy life. Along the way, she shares the moments, relationships, and life lessons that have made her who she is. From the energetic child who loved Irish dancing and pageants to the teenager holding down a job at Boots whilst building her dreams at fashion school, her journey to Love Island, and how she copes with fame today. By sharing these parts of herself, Molly May gives a fresh take on finding beauty and balance in a busy world. I can't wait to hear about her riveting 22 years. Because um. we, like you and I have spoken about books and like our goals and would we ever want to write a book and not together. <laughs> Culture <laughs> <laughs> Imagine. Um, yeah, I asked you recently, would you ever write a book? and how long it would take and you were like oh it would take like a year minimum like with a full-time oh no you're like a year minimum without a full-time job like just focusing on the book um and I think that is the case for many people it can take anywhere from like six months to years to write it's like you know such a process to get it edited and write the first draft and then go back write a second draft get that edited get it approved like it's not just a quick and easy thing I mean it can be but you're not going to make a very good book (laughs) (laughs) so like you said I can't see Molly May in particular having time between um you know doing pretty little thing and stuff that we've spoken about to write a whole memoir and I don't think there's anything like necessarily bad about things being ghostwritten it's very interesting to see the way that um molly has uh promoted this so for instance she's really driving home the fact that she wrote this right so um on instagram she said i can't believe i'm about to show this to you guys so i have written my very own book this is becoming molly may my first ever book and it is literally this is my baby We have honestly put so many months of work into this book. You have no idea. And it's been such a journey and an adventure venturing into this whole new world of writing a book. It is something that I have always, always wanted to do. Molly continues, it's been a massive dream of mine. You guys obviously know that I'm a massive oversharer, but in this book, I share oversharing to a whole new extreme. That sentence in itself would have been cut from our articles. Anyway. (laughs) I have spoken about things in this book that I have only told close family members and friends. You really do get the full BTS, the whole behind the scenes up until this very point. So my whole journey is just very special to me and I could just burst with the fact that I'm now able to talk to you guys about it and it's now available to pre-order. Interesting that she says we have honestly put so many months of work into this book but then throughout the rest of it she's like I, 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 I. So we being you and your ghostwriter like – And from what we've just read out, we can maybe kind of discern that she's not the most sophisticated writer, et cetera. Like it's 
sentences running into each other. It's very casual language, which is mm. I, there is nothing wrong with this. I think we talked about this when we talked about celeb spell check a little while ago, but I don't think someone's bad grammar or syntax should stop them putting out a message or like, you know, us listening to their story. So maybe that's a good reason that she also used a copywriter. There's nothing wrong with it, but like people are professional writers for a reason. And if that stuff didn't matter, like we wouldn't have jobs. If we couldn't communicate properly and if we couldn't write words succinctly and put things in an order that makes sense to people, like we get paid to do that for a reason. (laughs) So I think like, yeah, but I know what you mean in terms of like Instagram or social media, like that's a whole different thing to being a professional writer. I don't really know my point here. I'm not saying that like she can't be one or I'm not, I don't. I hope I'm not coming across as like snobby. Yeah, I guess you were saying like syntax and and words running into each other. You're not saying they don't matter, but do you know what I mean? It's a job of an editor to edit, but I also think, yeah, there is value in what writers do as well. It's just like a hard mm. line sometimes because it's a hard line. <laughs> but at the crux of this, like all, all the grammar stuff aside, I'm just interested in why we have celebrity memoir books. Like why are they so popular? Because especially Molly May's audience, forgive me, like are they avid readers all the time as well? Like it's an interesting thing that, you know, it's almost like an influencer mark of like rite of passage. It's like a marker of success that you have released a book. But sometimes it's just like so random. Like Molly May was like, I've always wanted to do this. And that surprised me. Like that wasn't something I would have guessed. Um, But yeah, tell me about celebrity memoirs and stuff. So the era of the 1990s was the beginning of the kind of stars are just like us mindset. So before that, you've got like the golden age of Hollywood, um, 60s, 70s, and then with the like introduction of cable TV um, and then the 90s was the beginning of really early like reality TV stuff. Um, we kind of wanted celebrities to be a bit more accessible and especially with the um, – with the launch of Friends, the TV show, we wanted to be their friend, we being humans. <laughs> People wanted to be their friends. Um, so we wanted to know more and more about them rather than this kind of mystical like glamour from before that. So obviously this is when tabloid gossip became really, really big. Programs like Entertainment Tonight and Access Hollywood were booming. And then by the 2010s, like all through the 90s and 2000s, get to the 2010s and if you were a person of interest or celebrity and you hadn't even written a book like it was seen as it was just like you said it's a rite of passage it's a thing to do so some well-known examples of ghostwriting are Hilary Duff I don't know if you remember this she wrote young adult novels um but later admitted to using a ghostwriter as she's quote terrible at spelling Oh my God, I had no idea. And I just Googled and there are so many books under her name. Yeah. So like back in 2010, she released Elixir, which is this, it looks quite like fantasy and it's just like a girl's profile on the side and another book called Devoted. Um, Yeah. She's literally got so, so, so many out there, but now um, I've just checked and um, the books are listed under like they're co-written by her and right. Alex Allen. So now they've changed kind of the story. 
also Kylie and Kendall wrote like wrote a book remember they like it was around like the time of the hunger game like maybe a couple years after oh hunger God. games like 2012 era um I remember they like they were making so many different things like clothing lines and all these different branded things and they came up with a book and it was like one of the like marketing kind of tools that didn't stick with the Kardashian Jenners Anyway, Gwyneth Paltrow also claimed that she wrote every word of her cookbook, but that was ghostwritten. Um, one surprising one was President Kennedy's book Profiles in Courage, which was written when President Kennedy was senator of Massachusetts. This book went on to win a Pulitzer Prize. Oh, my God. And Kennedy never admitted to using a ghostwriter, but his longtime aide and speechwriter, Ted Sorensen, kind of set the record straight in his own autobiography, stating that he, quote, did a draft of most chapters of the book and helped choose the words of many of its sentences, <laughs> which is a very long-winded way to say I wrote this book. So, yeah, funny. What is real? I know. Okay, the Kendall Jenner um, and Kylie Jenner one is kind of throwing me. And I'm like, is it kind of a win-win for everyone except, I guess, the audience who's consuming this unknowingly? Because, you know, like maybe these ghost writers, um, they don't really want fame and they don't want their name out there. But having a celebrity behind a book obviously boosts its, um, you know, popularity. And then Kendall and Kylie can just be like, yeah, I'm authors and just get money without having to do much of the work. But mm. it's weird that this is accepted, right? Yeah. And that's why I think we want to talk about it because it's just like this unspoken thing. Like Molly said, we've worked so hard on this. But but then again, we like she probably got help being a creative director at Pretty Little Thing. And like mm, Kendall and Kylie didn't make – Kylie didn't make her lip makeup kit all by herself either. So is there a double standard as well when it comes to writing because we consider it such like a solitary act – but you wouldn't expect Kylie Jenner to know how to physically make a lipstick, like mm. put, like literally manufacture a lipstick. Yeah, 100%. So, yeah, this is kind of making me rethink many things now. <laughs> yeah, no, same. You're you're so right, though. Um, it's like we accept the celebrity industry for so many different um, areas. Like, yeah, when they start a brand or when they start makeup lines, like you mentioned, but with books, we're like, gatekeep. You wrote it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Will you be putting Molly May's Becoming Molly May on your um, reading list this year? Um, I won't. I just find it so funny that, you know, the name is so similar to Michelle Obama's um, <laughs> biography, Becoming. So love that she's done that. I also saw something on Twitter that was like, um, I think it was like a SpongeBob meme that was like, Becoming Molly May opened the book. Go on Love Island, shut the book. <laughs> no, I'm sure it like her fans, I'm sure will really appreciate it and um, would like to get to know her a bit better and her childhood and stuff. So more power to her, I guess. More money to her, I guess. Last week, Japanese-American singer-songwriter Mitsuki took to Twitter to express her feelings around fans at concerts being on their phone, causing us to ask, are fans becoming toxic to musicians? In now-deleted tweets, she wrote, I wanted to speak with you about phones at shows. 
that are part of our reality. I have mine on me all the time and I'm not against taking photos at shows, though please no flash lol. But sometimes when I see people filming entire songs or whole sets, it makes me feel as though we are not here together. This goes for both when I'm on stage and when I'm an audience member at shows. I love shows for the feeling of connection, of sharing a dream, and remembering that we have a brief, miraculous moment of being alive at the same time before we part ways. I feel I'm part of something bigger. She continues, When I'm on stage and look to you, but you are gazing into a screen, it makes me feel as though those of us on stage are being taken from and consumed as content instead of getting to share a moment with you. I don't want to be greedy. I'm fortunate to get to play. Just putting it out there that sometimes, if we're lucky, we can experience magic at a show, but only if we're there to catch it. Yeah, I saw this unfolding on my timeline and it was quite heartbreaking because she wrote that with so much empathy and so much care, but the response was pretty split. Some people understanding for her request and others really just not. Yeah, I also saw this unfold. And when I first saw the the message from Mitsuki, I was like, that's like a very reasonable request. Like, I thought it was very sweet. It's very poetic in itself. Um, it's like a nice kind of PSA and she's not like phones are banned from the show. Like hand your phone into the cloakroom when you get in here because everyone has to look at me. Like, blah, blah, blah. It's just like film what you want. Sure. Take some photos, but like don't spend the whole time on your phone. There is nothing worse than going to a concert and standing behind someone who has their phone up the whole time. And you have to like move to the side to see or look through their screen to see it because mm. if especially if they're a tall person and they're holding their arms up and their phone is like what's that word landscape way mm, boils my blood no completely especially when their brightness is high sorry what a pet peeve but it can be so distracting and like Mitski says um like take people out of the experience the communal experience Some of the replies were quite unreasonable as well. One that kind of went a little viral and some jokes were made out of was by a user, won't share their username, but they say, bestie, that's great and all, but some of us have mental health issues that cause dissociation. And I film to remember the moment. I'm not just looking at my phone the entire time just to press record on. Smiley face. And another one, again, I thought these were satire, but they're not. Someone wrote, also, as someone with really poor memory, taking videos at concerts is what helps me keep that memory alive. Without it, I am very likely to forget the whole experience, not to say that I film entire songs, but even if I did, it wouldn't take away from the experience I'm having. Also, that, sorry, like that's just a normal human thing. I don't remember full concerts I go to, you know, like you remember highlights and you remember song and you remember moments of songs. You don't, I think that's odd if you do remember the full concert from start to finish exactly what the artist said and every single song and who was next to you and all that stuff. Like that's just called being a human. I almost feel like this is weird because um, we're kind of, uh, I'll use the word against, like, the the online snowflakes this time and <laughs> you know what I mean like we're usually in this band camp right of like being empathetic to people's struggles which we are but this is next level right yeah like, this yeah is. okay good I just wanted to clarify because I because yeah. I understand you know people are bringing up um like neurodivergent 
conditions and also their mental health right which aren't like joking matters Mm. the way that they are self-centering definitely feels off and also it's just really condescending recently in the last few months I've noticed that the term bestie is being used like really condescendingly Mm. and seeing that tweet then I was like that's the final straw for me like bestie just letting you know like so condescending I want to know do you film do you film and take pictures and at concerts like what do you have like a set rule or like what's your vibe yeah I mean this has probably definitely changed over the year so when I was younger I was probably more on my phones and stuff but definitely now the way I go about it is maybe like, you know, oh, when the chorus of my favorite song comes on, I'll record like 20 seconds and I'll maybe take a couple photos and I'll probably pull my phone out like a couple, three times throughout like the night. Like, you know, just like yeah. very quick because I, I don't like that experience. I don't like having to think about capturing content yeah. when I am um, at, a, at a concert. What about you? And also what were you like when you were younger as well? I, as long as I can remember, so in my 20s, I've always, I've had a rule that I give myself. So I enjoy the first verse and chorus of like, say my favorite song or favorite Mm. few songs. I enjoy the first verse and the first chorus in the moment. And then I allow myself to film maybe like the second verse and the second chorus to remember it. Mm. And then I put my phone away. Um, Or like the bridge to the, you know, like if there's like a moment, um, so, yeah, and definitely not full songs, definitely not whole concerts and just take a few pictures. But, yeah, and I think that's what Mitski's saying, right? She's like, I'm not saying you can't take pictures of a, something that means a lot to you, but just don't be on your phone the whole time. Honestly, I think I'm trying to practice um... – Oh God, I've said the word empathy. I'm an empath. I'm trying to practice empathy (laughs) (laughs) with this um, conversation because, you know, like, but we've talked about, you know, should phones be allowed at concerts for ages? And I think especially now this conversation is like really heightened because, you know, post slash current pandemic, we've been living through our phones for so long. Like people don't know how to act and create memories. And I definitely am guilty of, you know, my early teen years at concerts being like oh my god this is such a special moment I want to remember it forever I'm going to like document it and that was a way of kind of yeah trying to capture that feeling Mm. um so yeah like I totally understand why people do it sometimes but that's obviously not excusing people who are just literally standing there motionless with their landscape phone hands in the air recording Mm. every single second right yeah Michael Delorio wrote about this for Pedestrian TV in a piece called Our Parasocial Relationships with Musicians Are Chipping Away at Their Mental Health. Michael wrote, Social media has dissolved the barriers between the artist and the consumer. That's us. And it's been this way for quite some time. What's new, however, are the types of parasocial relationships we are now forming with our favourite musicians. No longer do fans of artists consider their favorite creators as people, but as machines that service their every need. The parasocial relationships we have with our favorite artists are causing extreme damage to them. Nobody can be the perfect idol for you, ever. They're human. They make mistakes. They fuck up. They also can't attend to your every single need at all times or make the exact music you need for whatever it is you're going through. We either consume art or don't consume it. 
We can talk about our opinions, but when we're directly talking to our faves about them, that's when we've crossed a line. These people aren't your besties. Hell, they wouldn't even like you if they saw the shit you said about them online. And yet, we still call these people mother and sis. It's demeaning. Let's fucking stop. Yes, I love his piece and kind of echoed what you mentioned about, you know, bestie being condescending, especially um, in like queer communities calling artists and people that you look up to like sis and mother and like mummy and stuff like that can also come off that way. So I want to go back to the conversation around like should phones be allowed at music, um, like festivals and concerts. It's like a conversation that's been going on for so long. Um, back in 2018, The Guardian wrote a piece called Phones at Gigs Can Be Annoying, But They Must Never Be Banned. Um, there was a few kind of like studies and stuff which I found interesting. So again, this was back in 2018, but Eventbrite, polled over um, 1,000 UK concert goers for their opinions um, and of the respondents 70% said that they were annoyed by people constantly taking videos or photos of the show. Which we totally relate to and in 2019 a study found that up to 73% of Aussie music punters would support requests by performers and venues for patrons not to take photos and videos at events. But 45% of all fans say they shared a photo or video update from the event to social media while at the event, which jumps to 79% for Gen Z, with women also being more likely to take pictures and videos than men. Yeah, and that's what I find interesting about the stats, right? Because it is young people who are doing this and it is women who are doing this. Um, on the flip side of that, men and those um, who are Gen X are most strongly in favor of banning mobile phones at events, right? So it's like, okay, these requests, yeah, like we both mentioned that it's annoying, but, you know, men at Gen X, like, are more in favor of it being completely banned and it's almost like oh are we policing how people experience things but in the other I just definitely want to say in the same breath that it is a communal thing so it is impacting a lot of people it's not just about yourself totally and that's why I think Miski had the right to like say how she feels also she's not the first artist to have like asked for this and so why is it that like she's the one where all these fans like it must just be her fan base is like two online or something is that like bad to say I agree because like <laughs> so many people musicians have actually banned phones yeah. at concerts and we don't see this kind of like backlash but yeah so I really like this quote by writer Ben Beaumont Thomas who wrote for the piece in the Guardian saying documenting one's experience on a smartphone is one of the few pieces of social capital available to almost everyone we film and photograph gigs partly to be able to remember them, but mostly to show that we've been there. Is this shallow? Well, perhaps. Not to mention annoying to those around you when done thoughtlessly. He continues, But the smartphone is a democratic creative tool that allows anyone to publicly write themselves into a cultural event, when previously the only people who could do so were professional photographers, critics and patrons. A photo at a gig says, I care about art. That is a right that must be protected. Wholesome way of thinking about it. Yeah, so there's definitely grey areas, like everything in life. Like there's grey areas and you can enjoy yourself at a concert and take pictures and videos and be respectful and be in the moment. Like, 
And also I feel like we need to just not have so many parasocial relationships to artists and celebrities. Oh, I don't know if that's going away soon. (laughs) I am guilty. (laughs) And in that gray area, I found it really like weird that one of the top replies on Misky's um, tweets was like a guy being like, yeah, I remember at this concert once this person FaceTimed his friends like just for two songs and she was like that is so annoying and not really though it's like you know like sharing a moment with someone that can't be there in the present who obviously loves this artist for like two songs yeah that's okay for this week what will you be recommending so i have only seen two shows this week one which we want to get into later but the first is the marvelous mrs Maisel season four we have recommended this probably twice on the show but it's season four so we're going to recommend it again um just love her so much love the show if you haven't heard about it or you haven't heard our recommendations previously it is about a female comedian in the late 1950s now we're in the early 1960s whose marriage kind of falls apart and she wants to become a comedian in a very male-dominated world. But aside from the storyline, which is very beautiful, um, the costumes, the sets, the products, like the attention to detail is amazing. It's a comedy, so you actually laugh out loud funny. The writing is super witty and super quick and you can watch it on Amazon Prime and watch from season one because it's the best show and it is so underrated and I will die on this hill. I am so excited to get into season four. I've been holding out and it's like one of those shows that I think requires and demands like your full attention. Like I want it to be like a movie night. Like I am totally like it's an event and a half. Um, I've actually heard that apparently this new season has a much bigger budget as well. So I'm really hopefully glad that that's true and that they're getting like that attention and love that it deserves because what a incredible, what an incredible show. I'm so surprised the budget has increased because it already is such a big budget show. Like Mm. the amount of money that show must cost. I think about it every time I watch it. Um, but yeah, you're right. I do like that. It, you do feel like you're being transported to another world. So yeah, enjoy it. And if you're also a Mrs. Maisel fan, please jump in our DMs. Cause I feel like I don't know anyone else who like, likes Mrs. Maisel the way we do. One of our, um, coworkers at work, Bianca is obsessed with it too, which makes me so happy. Um, but also yeah, having it centered on like Jewish characters is always such a hoot as well, just because like, you know. My partner's Jewish and it's just so funny just seeing the intricacies of that. Um, Yeah, I can't wait. And what are you recommending this week? Yes, a little joint culture club recommendation. Um, I'm so happy to be recommending The Dropout on Disney+. Plus. I was almost going to be like, should I try to do this in my best Elizabeth Holmes voice? (laughs) (laughs) But I won't. Um, because yes, as listeners probably know, it is scammer season. Last week you recommended Inventing Anna and this week we are on to the dropout. So Elizabeth Holmes' Theranos scandal has now been turned into a dramatized series, which for us is on Disney+. Plus. 
a brief recap for those who haven't heard of this true crime, true story. Last year, we recommended the podcast um, of the same name quite a few times, I think. Um, but basically, Girlboss Elizabeth Holmes founded this company that's um, claim to fame was basically that needles for blood tests were going to be a thing of the past. And instead, they invented this technology which only needed two drops of blood to run like all the blood tests available. But the massive catch is that their technology didn't work, putting millions of lives at risk and billions of dollars to waste, essentially. So yes, the show has finally dropped and Elizabeth is played by the one and only Amanda Seyfried, who nails this performance, I think. Can't wait to hear your thoughts in a sec. But I do think that this show is such a great retelling. It also dives into like the other people around the story, like other employees and things like that, which I find really intriguing because you almost forget that this is true and this this really happened and impacted so many people. Um, but yes, what did, what are you thinking of the show so far? Yeah, because it's only getting dropped in like increments. So there's three episodes out now. Um, I've only watched the first, but I was so gobsmacked. My sister and I watched it together last night. And I like my jaw was actually open when Amanda Seyfried like came on the screen yes. and was doing her Elizabeth acting impersonation. I was like, oh my God, it's like watching Elizabeth Holmes. Like her accent is on point. Her facial expressions mm-hmm. um everything it's so like it, you can't how is that Karen from Mean Girls like how <laughs> is that what's her face from Mamma Mia she's incredible it's like Margot Robbie kind of um kind of what's it called character acting I really liked it so far it's interesting yeah and you're right like it, you do forget that it's a real story because it seems so mm. crazy um and it's it does make such a good story. So you can see why they've made a TV show out of it. I'm glad that they gave credit to the podcast and they were like, this is based off the podcast. Um, It's nice to see. Did you notice at the start as well, they had voiceover snippets from the podcast itself, um, like kind of in the intro because I like I immediately clocked the the host's voice because it's quite unique. And I was like, ah, that's pretty nice. That's cool. Yeah. Because um, they've done such an amazing job with that, like the investigative journalism that the dropout did. Definitely recommend the podcast, which we have done in the past. Um, so, yeah, get on that if you also like a scammer show. So that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening. And if you've enjoyed today's episode or any other episodes, then we would love, love, love you forever. If you could please give us a rate and maybe a little review over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify because it really helps us out and we like hearing your opinions. Thank you again for tuning in. We've loved having your company. Um, I don't know what else to say. Happy autumn southern hemisphere baby (laughs) and we'll chat with you next week Bye -bye. bye bye